Bonjourno Bitcoiners, welcome back to the show. Today is another in the Bitcoiners in the Wild series I've been doing. Basically, if you haven't heard these before, what I do is at the end of the day, I shoot out a message on Twitter, seeing if anybody would like to uh, jump on a live stream. And the first DM that I get is the one that I go with. Uh, just did it spontaneously one day, and it's turned into a slew of really great conversations with a bunch of awesome Bitcoiners all over the place. Um, so today is Mark Stefani. He is a physician in Minnesota, and uh, he hit me up, told me he was really interested in the psychological and behavioral aspects of being involved in Bitcoin. I'm extremely fascinated by the seeming phenomenon of behavior change that results from going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And so uh, I was only too happy to have another person to have that conversation with, and uh, it did not disappoint. Really enjoyed this discussion with Mark. Hope you guys do as well. Let's do it. Okay. Tweet sent. Mark, uh, after some connection problems, it's good to be with you. Thanks for joining me, man. Absolutely, John. I appreciate the opportunity. I apologize for the uh, dumb doctor technical issues. No problem at all. So uh, I think I'm very interested in, and I talk about pretty often these days, the influence that engaging in Bitcoin has had on so many people's approach to a variety of areas of their life, but particularly their health. And I use the term health broadly. I consider, you know, spending more time on your relationships part of your health. I consider spending more time, you know, doing, you know, spending time in nature part of your health. And of course, diet and exercise and those types of things. Um, and we were connected and I know this, you know, you're a physician so this is going to be the topic, probably the bulk of our, our discussion today, but just so that everybody has a bit of uh, context for the discussion and for you, can you just kind of uh, give a little bit about your, your background, what you do, and then I know you've also written about this topic a little bit, so you can, you can touch on that as well. Absolutely. I'm an internal medicine hospitalist physician here in Minneapolis, so obviously the, the past few months have been pretty crazy, but we're taking it day by day. Uh, so I mainly see patients, I primarily see patients in the hospital, no clinical setting whatsoever. Uh, so that has its own level of, of acuity. Um, the, how that has then transitioned into Bitcoin, uh, I guess kind of is my, is the, leads to the Bitcoin origin story question for, for everybody. And uh, that was January 1st, uh, 2017. I was recovering a little bit on my buddy's couch in uh, Chicago, Illinois uh, from the night before and just reading an article on blockchain technology. And I thought it was a you know, extremely fascinating uh, technology with some interesting possibilities. And at the time, I thought it might have interesting applications to the healthcare industry. And so I really jumped into uh, the, the space, learning as much as I could and rode the wave of 2017. Uh, Quickly, I think got burned out by 2018, so I had to take a, a step back. And it was when I revisited the space in late 18, early 19, that it was solely with Bitcoin. And um, one thing that I began to recognize, see people talk about, was how Bitcoin and the community had affected their behavior, primarily with regard to health and the choices that they were making, which I found remarkable. 
here I am as a physician practice for close to 10 years and having had these conversations with my patients all the time with little uh, to no effect, uh, as it would seem. And here this technology that has to do with money is changing people's health-related behavior. So that, amongst every other aspect of uh, Bitcoin, really drew me in uh, closer so much that you know I, I felt like I needed to put pen to paper here recently and really tease out these these concepts. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a funny phenomenon, you know, that something as you say, you know, you are in a position of health authority and you would have patients throughout the years and you would do diagnostic tests and you would sit down with them and you discuss problems and you discuss action items for solutions. And I would, you know, I imagine uh, that it's very difficult to get adherence to a lot of the different suggestions that you might uh, put forward uh, because changing behavior is difficult. And then this digital protocol comes along that packages together, you know, sound money and a bunch of other different things. And for some reason that is the impetus for people to, it is motivating enough for people to change uh, behavior that is, you know, very deeply ingrained in many cases. So um, why don't you break into what uh, you wrote in that article? Well, I think you, we need to, to take a look at the similarities between uh, money and health or savings and health. And there are similarities uh, between the two. You look at how with uh, your money, you go to a financial advisor and an accountant. With your health, you go to a physician, right? So there's this hierarchy of information or information asymmetry that you need to rely upon somebody else for better or for worse uh, and trust in that individual for that information. Obviously, the second parallel is a, is a time preference situation where uh, both with savings, we don't prepare well, we don't save for emergencies, we don't save for retirement. The same thing holds true for our health. We don't invest on our health now so that we can reap the dividends of our health in the future. Uh, and then one other thing that Jason Williams actually tweeted about a few weeks ago was with regard to how wealth uh, provides increased optionality with regard to all aspects of life. The more money you have, the more options are opened up to you with regard to occupation, travel, uh, medical care, et cetera, et cetera. The same thing holds for better health. The better health you're in, the more options you have in life. The less reliant you are, are upon uh, medical care needs, uh, less reliant upon medications, and so forth. And so I think with the acknowledgement that there are similarities between two seemingly opposed or different uh, domains in life, money and savings, excuse me, money and health, you can see how Bitcoin could have an influence on uh, one's health. But that specific, uh, I think time preference is, is paramount, but it's not enough, right? Uh, I think it's a, it's a package deal, so to speak, uh, with regard to the characteristics of Bitcoin that changes our, uh, our behavior. But time preference is one of those. And so um, with regard to time preference, it's something that we all know about, right? you know, uh, delayed gratification. We all are aware that it's more often than not good to delay gratification uh, for future reward. So as you pointed, alluded to earlier, information isn't enough to change our behavior. So the knowledge of time preference 
is not enough within the Bitcoin to have it change uh, behavior to the extent that we've seen, right? Um, so I think then the second component of that is the sound money element. And the fact that Bitcoin is not inflationary. Uh, so with regard to uh, that specifically, we look at savings uh, rates uh, over the decades. And this is probably uh, a what the fuck happened in 71 statistic, but the fact that uh, you know, savings rates have dropped over 80% in, since the 70s and the obesity rates have increased 110 plus percent since that time, certainly correlational. But when you look at the other correlational uh, situations too, like the more debt you're in, the more higher likelihood of being obese uh, and vice versa. What we don't know is the uh, directionality of that link. But nonetheless, uh, I do strongly feel that the sound money, the low inflation, the stored value components of Bitcoin drive that incentive to plan for the future. And I think that that incentive spills over into other domains of your life, including health, because you start to think about, okay, I'm saving for the future. What else can I do to uh, ensure that that future is sound? And that involves your health, obviously. The other thing that Bitcoin has, uh, no other asset, gold doesn't have, test stock does not have, and that's this ethos of being able to take control of your of your of the things that you can in life, right? That includes your money. That includes uh, your health, and that is empowering, right? It's an impetus to examine one's choices and say, okay, by by buying Bitcoin, I'm taking ownership of my financial freedom, my financial future. By eating better, by exercising, I'm also taking control over my uh, my health in the long term. And lastly, I think it's a certain degree of optimism about the future. When you have a more optimistic outlook for your future, both individually as well as at large, you're, you're more inclined to make healthier uh, choices. And Bitcoin gives us that optimism. Many people have tweeted in the past few weeks that you know, without Bitcoin, the, the stuff that's been going on would seem a lot more bleak than it currently is. So I kind of, I think it's it's not one aspect of the Bitcoin that that drives uh, these changes that we're seeing in people's behavior, but rather the whole the whole package. Yeah, that's extremely well put, and it just it always blows my mind that you know, something of the nature of Bitcoin, however we choose to ultimately characterize Bitcoin, if we if we can even do so simply, uh, has that level of impact on people's lives. As you mentioned, it, you know, it creates a change in one domain that ends up spilling over into so many other domains. Uh, and I think many of these changes are, are positive, not exclusively. I, you know, I could certainly see you know some some potentially negative aspects of uh, being so into Bitcoin, but by and large, you know, extremely positive changes that just uh, impact so many different areas of life. It's it's a really it's a really strange it's a strange phenomenon and one that is really foreign and odd to the ears of people who are not deeply involved in this stuff. You know, I, I've had lots of conversations with people 
about Bitcoin as an investment, as an alternative monetary system, et cetera. And those, you know, people are occasionally receptive to that. They can see it, you know, they might understand a bit about what's going on with central banking and inflation and global monetary policy. But it, you know, they, I get the really screwed up weird face when I start talking about how so many people that I interact with in this space have fundamentally changed behaviors and fundamentally turned around or dropped bad habits and began to establish good habits, you know, I, they just simply can't see the connection between the two. Yeah, you're absolutely right, which is surprising in one sense, but not in the other. Uh, it's surprising because our money is, is a part of every transaction of every choice that we make uh, in our life, right? So how could it not affect those things? But I think it has been, so insidious over the decades, uh, you know, I like to think of high uh, time preference as being one of the most insidious uh, scaling uh, aspects in, in, out there. Like nothing scales more insidiously than high time preference. These choices from that we make individually uh, that are to our own detriment all the way up to on a international level when you look at how WHO cannot plan for the future with regard to this pandemic. So you can see how um, having a high time preference uh, becomes just caked into one's behavior in, in everyday choices. And you don't question how the opposite, in this case, low time preference and sound money, could change uh, your behavior uh, differently. Uh, for example, I were taught, you know, that consumption is the end all be all for the drive of our economy. Krubin wants to think that consumption is, 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 is uh, the penultimate goal for uh, us as individuals. But that doesn't acknowledge quality of consumption, which has a direct I think parallel to uh, one's own choices in regards to health, the quality of your consumption as it relates to the food that you eat. If if your savings has dropped for decades, right, and you have less money, you're obviously going to be purchasing cheaper and cheaper food. If your salary has not been commiserate with inflation, you can afford less. You're going to be eating worse food uh, as the years go by. So yes, you're consuming, but what you're consuming is crap. And what the, the output of that is chronic disease. And I think the same thing holds for uh, the economy uh, in general. The quality of our consumption uh, is very much uh, of importance. In my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, you mentioned, um, you know, one of the aspects, you have four points in your article, and one is, you know, a shifting from a kind of hopelessness uh, about around the future toward a hopefulness for the future. And again, it's one that, you know, it's a lot of people might find strange, but it's one that I've come across almost unanimously in my conversations. And as you say, had we, if we did not have Bitcoin right now, I'm sure many of us would be far more concerned about what's going on currently than we already are. And no matter what you think, you know, no matter what you have backing up behind you, What's happening now is concerning, but it's um, at least it's balanced by maintaining the with the knowledge that there is a mechanism 
uh, and there is an alternative, it's just our job to engage in it and grow it and, and, and hopefully more people will do the same. But are you a, ever able in the context of a healthcare provider to explore uh, that with people? Because I've, I've often, not even somewhat jokingly, but I think in the future it may actually become a thing where a lot of people's uh, angst, anxiety, depression, um, you know, low energy, these sort of things that characterize, let's say, uh, less than optimal mental states, uh, much of that can be contributed to by a hopelessness for the future, looking out uh, into the future of your life and, and not seeing anything on the horizon that gives you that enthusiasm, that energy, that hopefulness, nothing to take care of your, your life and your and your body for it, you just you, it just looks bleak, and and that can have a very material impact on your day to day uh, state of consciousness. And you, because I know of the impact it's had on so many Bitcoiners, I wonder if that type of call it financial education will work its way into some kind of mental health care at some point. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack, and yeah, in what you said, and I think it's. Um, I, I do think it, it um, carries over from Bitcoin to other aspects of your life. And for me, the reason is I see Bitcoin, among other things, as a means of self-sovereign financial freedom, right? I, for so long, basically outsourced any knowledge of uh, finances and money and I just thought okay now I'm in a position I'll just pay for a financial advisor to take control of that for me and it's I'll do that but for the past three years I realized that's that's ridiculous why would I rely upon uh, somebody else for that uh, aspect of my life when the same thing holds true for the, my patients and the ability that I'm able to provide the good that I'm able to provide for them. So I, I have a very limited capacity knowing that to drive somebody's health is primarily their lifestyle, right? Not so much what I do as a physician, okay? So uh, with, with Bitcoin, understanding that it gives me this independence and this financial freedom, that in turn carries over to, well, if I can do it with my finances, I can do it with my, my health, my safety, with, and it, it all starts with one's one personally, and then I think it goes from personal to, to family, to friends, neighborhood, and, and, and community. I think it spills, for me, it's, it's, it says, it has taught me that I need to take care of myself before I can take care of others. And I wanna take care of others, right? I wanna be able to do good in the world, but I feel like if I don't have my house in order, I'm not gonna be able to do that. And I see Bitcoin as a means to do that. I see optimizing my health as a means uh, for, for doing that, right? So often at work, I see the caretakers of patients, I see them admitted to the hospital because their health is eventually broken down. And so not only is their loved one still sick, but they're sick now because they couldn't take care of themselves. And so it, it's, it's not a matter of just this uh, selfish isolationist or uh, I'm only going to look out for number one, but it's doing that in order to be able to provide 
for others. And for me, that provides an optimistic outlook for the future. I got my shit in order. I can help take care of others at this point. Mm-hmm. Do you think when we analyze, if we try to get a little bit more specific about what it is about what we're interacting with that's causing the change, do you think it's just broadly because now we have you know, the soundest form of money that we've ever experienced and just that on a broad scale is causing those internal changes that many of us are seeing? Or do you think it could be more granular in that the specific attributes uh, of that sound money in some way, perhaps yet poorly articulated or not very clear, have more, uh, more specific impacts on us? And uh, I guess I'll, I'll just provide a somewhat of a basic example for that of what I'm talking about. As we know, every four years, Bitcoin's uh, new su- su- supply schedule gets cut in half, right? So the amount of Bitcoin mined every 10 minutes gets, gets cut in half. And so Bitcoin is disinflationary and this is effectively Bitcoin hardening every four years. That's one of Bitcoin's attributes. If, we're, if the premise is that interacting with this thing um, is causing these fairly profound changes in us, do changes in it as they morph and change, and you know, only some do, but should we expect for those changes to have some kind of commensurate change in us, or is the change just simply that it's, a more, that it's sound money and the kind of details or inner workings of that sound money don't necessarily have specific, it, it, it don't necessarily motivate or inspire specific changes in us. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I do, and I think that's a fascinating question. We don't know the answer. Um, I, I spent a lot of time seeing if there's been anything written about uh, health and uh, in money over over the years, but we, we've never been in a situation like this now where we've got chronic disease as, as, a, as a huge problem and now Bitcoin, right? So there's nothing to compare to that is that is meaningful. So to answer your, your question, yes, I do think it has impact. Whether it's a, I don't think it's probably a conscious uh, uh, impact that we that we look at the happening and and think to ourselves, you know, there's fewer issuance coming out now. Uh, I have less time on this earth, therefore uh, I need to be planning for the future more. Uh, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's conscious like that, uh, mm-hmm. but I I would fully expect that as the years go by, we'll have a better grasp of those uh, more granular elements of the Bitcoin protocol that in turn have led to people's behavior change for sure. Yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with that. I suspect that's correct. And I, I think most of this, as with the existing paradigm in the fiat system, is it's not conscious. You know, people aren't walking around thinking, oh yeah, you know, my time preferences. Uh, is high because uh, I exist in a fiat system. It's just, as you said at the beginning, money is so uh, insidious. It's a part of so many different things in our daily life. It's the other half of every transaction. It's how we interact uh, with the world and construct our lives. And so the characteristics of that money, even unbeknownst to us, are going to bleed and spill into our behavior and our activities and all the different things that we use it for and how how that reverses back to influence us. 
Um, what do you think in the Bitcoin community, the um, carnivore diet is, is quite popular. First of all, as a physician, what's your take on the carnivore diet? And second of all, where do you think this fits into uh, in, the, in the broader context of this discussion in terms of change and approaching one's health, et cetera? Sure. The, it's funny, I came across a tweet uh, the other day talking about paleo and Bitcoin going back to uh, 2009. So diet and specifically really? paleo carnivore has, has been around for several years. Yeah. Wow. So it wasn't just uh, safety eating who uh, certainly made it more popular, but um, uh, it's been around. So uh, look, with regard to, to diet, the we all know that you can you can cherry pick the the research to 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 find a study that supports what you what you want to eat. So I, I I'm not in that game. I don't you know I'm not going to go down that path. But what I tell people is um, four things. What are your what are your numbers right? So the blood pressure, cholesterol, A1C. Uh, BMI, inflammatory markers, things like that. Those are all good, fine. Two, what are your goals? Are you looking to mitigate uh, chronic disease risk factors? Are you a strength training? Are you an endurance athlete? Uh, what are your priorities? Are you are you wanting something um, less of a carbon footprint, etc.? Uh, three, is it a sustainable diet? Right. Is, is the diet so restrictive that there's no way you're going to be able to make it past six months uh, eating this way? And fourth and most importantly, how do you feel? Right. So you could be vegan and eating beer and French fries and feel like shit. So in the end, I don't really care what you're eating. It's just I want to I want to know those four things. Right. And then work with an individual to meet them where he or she is at in order to find what works best. You know, that's, I, I find the, the, the diet debate on, on Twitter to be it's so futile, right? And it's kind of laughable in a way. I think, of, I think this is my own theory, but I think a big part of why we see so many diets is, is not only because it's easier to monetize uh, a specific diet, but I also think that um, there's there's research coming out to say that uh, people respond differently to uh, the same food. For example, somebody who eats a scoop of vanilla ice cream is going to have a larger insulin spike than somebody else. And that appears to be primarily microbiome driven. And so to say that this diet is right for you and everybody else, uh, it's not one size fits all. Right. And so I think that's a large part of why we see so many different diets out there and people think saying, you know, well, it didn't work for me, uh, therefore it's crap. I, I just, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think uh, much more nuanced than that. There might be a diet that's, that fits the bell curve, but in the end, it's much more of a personal uh, um, choice. And again, numbers, goals, sustainable, how you feel. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think part of it is also, and I want to be careful how I say this because I, I, inherent in this statement is, is an assumption, which may be incorrect, but 
Bitcoin seems to be um, motivating in people, uh, a, you know, a heart, maybe not a hearkening back, but a, a, a preference for more simplicity in, in life. Um, not across the board, but it just, it, it, it seems like Bitcoin, at least, let's say my experience, provides, you know, kind of puts a lens over how I see things. And I was very much, um, you know, a lot of these quote unquote Bitcoin changes, you know, these, these changes that people that are inspired in people as a result of engaging in Bitcoin, my prior life, there was many of them present and many of them were, were developed. So the changes for me weren't as, um, as dramatic as perhaps they have been in some, but it seems to put a lens over the way you see things where you want, you value clarity and simplicity versus perhaps before uh, cluttering or complexity or, you know, and, and maybe the answer to that is simply in a, in a fiat unsound money world, maybe there's more waste, there's more junk, there's more production for the sake of it. And maybe in a sound money world, there's, you know, there's more simplicity, there's more quality, there's more long-term uh, goods. And as a result, there's less clutter and complexity. Uh, I don't know, but what, what do you, what's your thought on that? I, I feel the same way. I, it's funny, the more you, you jump in Bitcoin and you learn about all the different aspects of it, from the technology to philosophy to the economics to the monetary history, et cetera, and you start peeling back those layers, you understand the complexity, not only of Bitcoin, but the, our entire economy and in turn, the world, right? Um, and you, that's both frightening as well as liberating uh, in some sense, uh, that you're able to understand that, know that you, again, it kind of comes back to this individual empowerment. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to make things simpler, control the things that I can, um, and, and, and go forward from, from there. I mean, Bitcoin, the thing about Bitcoin is, you know, it's pulled back the curtain uh, on the wizard, so to speak, uh, for me in, in, in understanding the, how messed up a lot of things are, right? I think that's been a, the experience for many Bitcoiners. I think Connor Brown mentioned on your panel that it also at the same time gives you this optimism. Okay, I see this, this shit show of, of what's going on, but then here's my optimistic out. Um, and in turn, uh, how that influences you on your day-to-day -day life, I think is a, a reduction in complexity. I don't know how it does that, but I certainly felt that uh, the same way as I think you're, you're experiencing. You try to minimize those things that you can, knowing that the rest maybe uh, you don't have as much control over. Yeah. And I think that sensation of sovereignty and freedom, which is both scary and extremely liberating and invigorating that you get when you interact with Bitcoin, and at least in that domain, you take financial uh, sovereignty and responsibility. Um, I think that is such a invigorating uh, sensation and desirable, ultimately, once you get a taste that you probably, uh, again, I'll go for, for me, I want to recreate it in as many other domains as I can. And in order to do that, 
just from a sim, you know, simply time and other resources perspective, you must simplify, you must prioritize better because you, you, you know, you can't, it's in some domains, it's difficult to establish that and the kind of more simple and clear and the more properly prioritize those things that you want to bring sovereignty to and that you want to extract freedom from, uh, you necessarily have to simplify because, you know, there's an infinite number of things that you can interact with and, and, and do on a daily, weekly, yearly basis or over the course of your lifetime. And, and if you really want to bring that sensation of, so- sensation of sovereignty and freedom to the highest priority things, then you have to simplify. Right. And, and that's what I really want people to understand with regard to their health is, is to also view that as a, a means of self-sovereignty, right? Because just as the financial industry will, can, does, has control your, your, your finances and your future financial freedom, uh, the medical industry will do that if you let it, right? And so I want people to understand that Bitcoin gives you that financial freedom, but having better health also gives you the freedom from uh, that health standpoint to to live an optimal life as well. I alluded to this earlier. Um, When you you look at factors that uh, influence your health, there's uh, what I do as a physician, the medical community, and that's about 10, 15%. There's genetics, which is about 20%. Uh, There's environment, which is about 10, 15%. And then there's lifestyle, which is, close to 60%. So billions and billions of dollars are being poured into that 10, 15% of what I do when you have a majority control of your own health. So you take that on and you build a self-sovereignty with regard to your, your own health. And then you don't have to rely upon the system to fix you because it's not going to, right? It's going to put band-aids on chronic disease, and then you're stuck in the cycle. So only you can get out of it or keep yourself out of it. And so I, I, I'm trying to really draw the comparison between having financial health sovereignty as well as health sovereignty if you really want to be uh, free. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 amazing how. Um, I talked about priorities there. It's amazing how uh, Bitcoin seems to influence uh, priorities like that. And, uh, you know, this conversation necessarily has a lot of generalization. So I guess it's always just to speak better, you know, from my subjective experience perspective. But um, like I don't, when I was younger, for example, uh, I, I imagined, you know, riches and yachts and, you know, all the, the things that we are, both advertised to and just the society we grew up in to value. And something about, uh, and this, again, not exclusively a result of Bitcoin, but certainly uh, partially influenced and perhaps uh, largely influenced, is a a desire for not just simplicity because I'm limited in the resources that I have in order to uh, establish sovereignty and freedom in certain domains, but that that's that becomes kind of the ideal or the value or or the goal like to 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 establish uh, sovereignty and freedom in 
some, you know, ultimately very basic domains um, and enjoy that. So just to give you an example, this, you know, I, I love spending time in nature. I take care of my health uh, very closely. I really like engaging with uh, other like-minded individuals who have my best interests at heart and whose interests I, who, and, and their interests, uh, and likewise, you know, my, uh, me for their interests. Um, and just all, all these simple things that do not require a great deal of resources, but they, re you know, they require thoughtfulness in order to engage in them on the level that I wish to engage in them. And, you know, that's a process of being able to do so and es establishing that over time. But it, it, it just seems odd to me. And maybe this can be explained with the, the low time preference, uh, the overarching low time preference thing. But I think there's perhaps more. There's a, there's a value being emitted seemingly from Bitcoin. And people are, a lot of people are picking up similar values and trying to establish them in their lives. Uh, yes. And I, I think you, we shouldn't discount the fact that you're able to do those things, those quote unquote simple things because of financial stability and your health, right? Many people, somebody who doesn't have either one of those things is working, right? It's not an option. And so you don't, if you can't, again, it gets back to, if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. You know, you have no, ability to really foster those relationships with uh, friends and family, let alone outside of the community uh, to help support them. So yeah, I think that's a tremendous amount of freedom that uh, Bitcoin does and will hopefully continue to provide individuals uh, so that they can, they can take a step back and, and not only um, uh, look, look inward uh, to help their own uh, growth, but uh, those of others as well. I would love to to see more eventual Bitcoin uh, philanthropy, you know, and I, I I hope Bitcoin also grows with regard to how we interact with money itself. I hope that there's uh, more financial services products than just interest accounts. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, if talking about all these things and how it affects behavior, how can we further incentivize Bitcoin uh, to change our behavior? Is there a way, is there a means of uh, uh, monetizing healthier choices or healthier interaction of good deeds and things like that? Is that something that, that Bitcoin could ultimately uh, do? I don't know, I would love to see that. That excites me more than, uh, again, an interest bearing account. I, I think we need to really trust, you know, question how we interact with money and, and, and be more creative with regard to um, how it affects our day-to-day -day life. I would rather, you know, work less so that I could earn more with Bitcoin by doing uh, healthier things for myself and for others. If it was, I hate to use this word, some uh, element of uh, UBI that, um, by incentivizing these actions, you do earn Bitcoin, and in turn, uh, there's a win-win for both uh, yourself and society. You look at the current situation with regard to unhealthy behaviors, that consumption, again, is, is incentivized, right? Incentivized to uh, consume more. Well, that is a net detriment to the individual 
not only with regard to chronic disease, but in that detriment to the economy as a whole when we start talking about the costs that, are, that uh, incurs uh, on the economy. So uh, behaviors follow incentives. And if we can incentive, somehow incentivize uh, the opposite through Bitcoin as a sound money, uh, I, would, I would love to see that. Yeah. I mean, th- this, this has been what we've been discussing, right? But I guess, and we touched on a little bit earlier, but what is it? Because we could come up with, I'm sure, and they will come up with creative ideas to incentivize behaviors and, you know, pay in sats or, or whatever creative entrepreneurs come up with. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, Bitcoin seems to be just by being itself incentivizing the hell out of people to change. And I mean, what, and if you've already answered this, you know, just, you, you can say so, but do you, do you, have you pinpointed specific reasons why Bitcoin is incentivizing people? Because we're, and I'll, I'll give a little more context for this. What we're saying is like, yeah, sure. It'd be great if, if this thing could directly incentivize people to change behavior, because that would be helpful for the individual and, and collective society. But we see Bitcoin incentivizing all this behavior change and we say it's a manifestation of low time preference and all the other things that sound money construes. But I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, can we articulate precisely what that incentive is? Well, I, I, you're not going to get that incentive unless you own Bitcoin, right? So whether you go buy it off of an exchange or wherever, um, or you earn it, um, I think it might, it would still have the same effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, so you just I mean like getting it in the hands of people, right? That's the, that's the big right. thing. Yeah. Because it, you know, we would not have been experiencing this had we not initially bought Bitcoin, you buy Bitcoin and then you learn about it. Uh, and then, then the behavior, uh, occurs. Uh, so I think again, whether I'd like to see it, the opportunity to earn Bitcoin more than just buying it, right? Um, simply because I, I think a little bit of the, well, I like Lolly, I use Fold and all those things. Like it's still, it's, it's incentivizing consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the idea of being able to earn the Bitcoin. Uh, and I think earning it also puts, um, you know, the intrinsic value is, is greater as a result. Uh, but to answer your question, is there a specific thing? Uh, I honestly don't think that there there is i think it's i think it's the whole construct i think it's uh, a multitude of, of factors that have come together in this crazy time and and, and space to to have triggered this uh, but i but i the fact that people were tweeting about this like pre-2017 pre bitcoin standard tells me that there is something within the protocol itself, something uh, about sound money that uh, has led to people's behavior change. And I, I want to see you know, somebody with a bigger influence, uh, George or somebody else, like, send out a survey. I would love to see what people's responses are to this very question. You know, what, why have they changed? And I don't, I don't, I don't have a good sense of that right now. That's I suppose multiple factors. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think uh, I'll look into that. And I think other people 
uh, should do so as well. But just a, the final point on that, you know, I said that the change for me has been relatively mild because a lot of those uh, things I'd valued prior to being involved in Bitcoin. But, you know, I've had conversations recently where people were, you know, substance abuse, um, uh, you know, wasted a lot of time, whether it's video games or, you know, getting up to no good outside the house or just, you know, all of kind of the worst, if not criminal behavior, well, not the worst criminal behaviors, but a lot of the kind of delinquent behaviors that some of us have spent some time in during our lives and others for more prolonged periods and really not engaging in the world, not asking questions about the world, not feeling good about themselves in the world to being, you know, clear headed, clear thinking on the right path. It's just remarkable. Yeah. And I think to your point earlier, I think that's an optimism for the future. That's hope, right? That's, hitting rock bottom and seeing hope. And for many of us, Bitcoin is hope. Um, but that hope is different for every person. And that hope can change for, for individuals. But nonetheless, I, I think that is a big factor. Bitcoin is hope for people. And uh, hope is a very, very strong motivator. Um, so that's it's, it's a very good point. I think for those individuals, they see it as that outlet. Yeah. Um, have you changed much, you know, since let's call it 18, since you really started going down the Bitcoin specific rabbit hole? Have, have you noticed changes in your outlook, life, behavior, habits? Um, I was thinking about that uh, because I knew you would ask it. And I don't. I honestly, I don't know. It's hard to tease out what's Changed and what's still being influenced by a, a two-year-old kid running around. Um, my, I've always been healthy. Um, I, as I talked about in the paper, though, it's definitely more a taking control of uh, my finances and, and money. I grew up with uh, in a, a family where money was more was kind of a taboo topic, and you know, my we would. We would spend and our dad would, would spoil us and, and bail us out if we spent over our, our, our allotted allowance. And so it was always this kind of cycle of, of spend, consume, spend, consume, but it'll be okay. And um, that's the way it, it continued uh, up until Bitcoin. And I, and I really have been able to take a step back and, um, and look at how, what is my relationship with money? How do I interact with it? What do I see, to that, see it as? What do I want out of it? Uh, and that's looking at the, the history, the psychology uh, of money. So for me, it's been uh, not only a, a, a financial freedom on, on paper, so to speak, but also mentally. I understand money now. I understand the financial aspects of it. I'm not scared of it. I'm not chasing it. I'm not chasing the yachts, as you said. That's been the biggest impact that I've had. But like you, I didn't have bad habits per se. Uh, I've always been a healthy guy. Uh, so for me, it was much more of a um, how I related to, to money. Uh, that's been the biggest change. I hate to use this word, but I, I think you'll know what I mean when I use it. But has it changed your uh, perspective politically at all since being involved, you know, on on whatever issues that you might have had a certain stance on before, have, have any of those changed? 
Yeah, absolutely. I uh, a few examples. One, as we, we talked about earlier, you understand how complex the world is, right? And uh, these levers that we're used to uh, being pulled in the economy or, uh, or basically that any politician is going to talk about that if we just do this, we'll get what. And you start learning about Bitcoin, you understand the complexity of economics of money and in turn every other complex system in the world. And as I tweeted out earlier, um, complexity is the one thing that doesn't have an, an ism behind it, right? So even though you might be believe in liberalism or libertarianism, like that's not going to, does not fit in a complex world. But yes, it has um, affected me. For example, uh, quite uh, recently, I've never, I, the Second Amendment, like I've never been a gun owner. Um, I was never, in recent years, I was never staunchly opposed. Uh, but I was definitely more leaning towards um, heavier, regu heavier regulation. Here come the riots in Minneapolis, and I'm between the downtown riots and the uptown riots. And our neighborhood is basically told, you know, you're not going to get any help. You're kind of on your own. And for the first time, it was like, I get it. I get it. I understand now that. Uh, you can't lie on, you hope to be able to, but you can not 100% rely on others to, uh, in this case, for your safety. And so that experience allowed me to relate to people who have been saying this for, you know, ad nauseum for years and that you don't understand until you live it. And I lived it and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go get a gun. And this is why. And I lived that and I understand it now. And so it absolutely has changed my. Uh, my frame of reference. Yeah. And I think, so there's that uh, component of that kind of change where you come face to face with the necessity for a certain thing that previously might've just been, um, you know, theoretical and it was easier to take a stance one way or the other theoretically. But when you come face to face with the reality of a situation, you know, you more intimately understand the, 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 the truth of it. But I think the, you know, another component of that issue specifically is you know this whole thing bitcoin is about bitcoin is a tool of freedom and sovereignty and this is what we've been discussing and we've been discussing how it influences the way people look at at their freedom and sovereignty and how it spills over into many different other areas of their life with their freedom and sovereignty over their health freedom and sovereignty over their finances etc cetera, etc cetera, freedom and sovereignty over their living conditions and just like you man i you know all my life i uh, again, not staunchly opposed, but lean toward, you know, yeah, it, wouldn't things be safer if, if more people, less people had guns, you know, less opportunity for, for violence. Um, and that has been, I guess, a change that, that has been fairly uh, notable in me since interacting with Bitcoin, uh, because I, I recognize it as a tool of sovereignty and freedom, not as, um, not as exclusively a dangerous tool or a tool of death. It's it's any any effective tool can be used for you know for good or bad purposes. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a very useful tool. And I, I see it as whether that's maintaining sovereignty and freedom uh, for your family against an intruder, uh, or for your family and your your 
your fellow citizens against tyrannical government or any other any other use the the idea is that it's it's a means another means another tool of sovereignty and freedom and for that reason um my opinion has you know pretty much 180 on it i would like to see um a, a a social approach to being able to more responsibly wield weapons and other means of power you know so that we as uh, as individuals in society um instead of shunning or being afraid of tools of power take responsibility over them and 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 learn how to use them responsibly and only when absolutely necessary i you know i think that w- that's something that should coincide with um you know the a, a, a more accepting approach to guns um and i think you know over time that will happen but um but yeah this is for me now it's all about looking at things through the lens of sovereignty and freedom i i think um there there probably will be trade-offs along the way but that is um probably like we you know we both mentioned yachts uh, as you know perhaps a, an ambition earlier in life but for me now it's it's the establishment of sovereignty and freedom um and that is what i'd like to establish and that is probably the lens through which i most assess things whether they be guns whether they be jurisdictions in which you live whether they be health finances etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think a lot of people in this space are starting to see things through a similar lens no i completely agree and admittedly in the years past you know even the word freedom has certain connotations to it that i think would be more associated with again people who are endorsing the second amendment and maybe leaning more right uh and which is ridiculous um and and now i have a different relationship to it because again what bitcoin has showed me is that i need those things i need my own financial freedom i need my freedom of health meaning i don't need to rely on medications with side effects and cost to keep me healthy healthy uh i don't need the financial for the the medical established to keep to to maintain that that is freedom as you said in it i need that freedom in order to not only best serve myself but to best serve others uh, how for example how how can you expect people to care about climate change when they can't uh when they don't have that personal freedom with regard to finance or health like it's, it's absurd right and and so you need to have that 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 freedom the sovereignty uh to be able to take care of yourself and in turn others i think it starts with your you the family and then it goes from there so no i couldn't agree more uh, with what your your previous statement and it's so odd in society today there's there's an apprehension around freedom you know there's large swaths of people that would seek to limit the freedom of others because i think I I think a part of it is they're afraid of what man what would manifest out of, you know, people acting in uh with with complete freedom and I think a lot of people think there would be some sort of anarchy or chaos or etc and um I I just don't see it that way. I see, you know, freedom is the taking of responsibility in many respects. Of course, it can be established and taken in different ways and it can be abused, but uh, I see a a, a civilization in which it's a group of you know free individuals voluntarily interacting with one another for indiv- for individual and mutual benefit to be you know one of the things that um 
an ideal to strive for. And there seems to be many forces in society today that out of fear are attempting to uh, limit freedom. And I'm not just talking about, you know, government, uh, large government forces, but you know, I think some of the uh, tumult we're seeing in, in the U.S. and around the world today is whether it's regarding speech, whether it's regarding guns, whether it's regarding a great number of other things is people wanting to limit what others can do. And, uh, you know, I think it's not only misguided, but as we're seeing now, potentially dangerous for all parties involved. How do you feel freedom relates to equality? To equality? Yeah. Can you does one is one person's is one person's freedom another person's inequality? So if I give you more freedom, does it impose on my uh, equal access, my equality with regard to uh, how I'm treated in society? I suppose it's possible that it could, but again, then we, then I guess then we have to ask the question: you know, uh, is it is it a trade? What trade off do you want to make? You know, so I, I and like we're in such a we're in such an advanced stage where we're so far away from, uh, you know, what I just articulated in many of these concepts that it's difficult to extricate ourselves from the bubble that we're in and imagine, you know, the changes that could bring us to a more desirable structure or society. But um, if you're asking, like, where does you know, does my freedom impose on your freedom and where to draw the line there? Um, uh, like, I, I know there's some schools of thought and philosophy like uh, voluntarism and libertarianism that kind of attempt to answer that question. Um, but I don't know if any ism is ever going to cover it. I mean, I think I think we have to prioritize freedom and then figure out the trade-offs that must be made along the way. But I I just don't think we're prioritizing uh, freedom in in many cases and and instances and countries around the world today. I think we're, well, you know, let's, let's take the the COVID lockdowns and, you know, you're a physician, so maybe you'd have some interesting insight here, but whatever your, uh, whatever your opinion on this is, we prioritize and whatever your opinion on the veracity of the data which we use to do so, we prioritized uh, public health over individual liberty in this instance. And that's just a fact, you know, because people were locked down and they were told they can't leave their homes, they can't, they can't go to work, they can't provide for themselves. And so that was, that was a choice that was made for people. People weren't able to make that choice for themselves. So in that case, we have a society that's prioritizing the, the perception or, or the, the objective of public health, health over freedom. And again, I think the discussion around this can easily get lost in, in the minutia and the details, but f- on that upper level, I disagree with that. I, I don't think, um, you know, I don't, I don't think people, people's liberty um, should have been or should be able to be um, restricted in that way. But, you know, that's that's my opinion. What's your feelings? Well, I hate the fact that we were in a situation in the, in the first place. Uh, again, it comes down to that um, high time preference of organizations that were willing to allocate resources uh, to uh, prevention of something like this, or at least mitigating its uh, the response, mitigating its effects. Um, 
and because they obviously knew about it. But the fact that we're here uh, faced with this situation, I think, is the most frustrating thing for me. And again, that's as we're all been experiencing a, a trust issue. We trust the World Health Organization. We trust the CDC to have been on top of these things. Uh, in case they were ever to occur, and they weren't, and, and, and here we are faced with um, the secondary debate of lockdown versus uh, the ability to go back and maintain your your business. Uh, so I, I I don't want the the former to get lost in the conversation, the broad conversation that is moving forward. But yeah, my opinion has has gone back and forth when this first went down, and we were preparing for the worst um, as a physician, you know, is extremely scary. And you wanted people to, to stay home and, and abide by the <laughs> vague uh, rules that have been set in place. Uh, but then you start seeing, you start talking to people whose businesses are uh, closed and who are losing their, uh, their livelihood. And again, you realize the nuance of the situation. You realize that these situations are not binary uh, as that as they more often get broken down uh, into in the media and so uh, I, I began to think and believe that it's most likely that the economic consequences that we will see of this uh, lockdown businesses that are going to go out, uh, out the social toll the mental health toll all of those components are probably going to have larger downstream secondary tertiary effects um, than the virus itself right so uh, I I think the the treatment is going to be worse than the disease so to speak um, but it's hard to not play the counterfactual and say okay if we had not locked down at all and let it run rampant would that have been worse? We just don't know the answer to that at all. Uh, and again, it comes back to the fact that we're here in the first place. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, um, back to the, what we've been discussing this whole time, I feel like so many people have just outsourced so many, um, so many of the responsibilities uh, of their life to the state and to other authority organizations that it almost becomes de facto or foreign to make those choices for yourself. So again, as you're saying, all we can contend with is what happened and what we know. But, um, you know, if people were knew that they were fully responsible for their health in these situations, then maybe there would have been a more dyna dynamic response. You know, people would have, if, if you had health conditions and you were at risk, maybe you would have stayed home. Maybe there was community support. If you weren't at risk, maybe you could contribute in some way, maybe you could continue going to work. You know, th this blanket approach that is a result of centralized government and authority, it, it, and this has been said many times in, in writings and podcasts in this space, just makes the whole thing more fragile. And I think that makes it, uh, makes poor outcomes almost inevitable. But I do want to get your, your take on, you know, you kind of asked me, where do you, you know, what's, what do you, where do you draw the line between freedom and inequality or what do you see as that relationship and where does my freedom begin and your freedom end? what's, what's your higher level philosophical um, opinion on that? What's your view on freedom and inequality? Yeah, I, it's still evolving. 
for me for sure um and i don't i don't know i think the one thing that i do recognize is that the again is not a binary situation for any topic uh that is out there where it's 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 whether it's the second amendment or um whether the riots were good or bad like it's it's much more nuanced than people want really want to acknowledge um i think that you can by allowing for individual freedom in the sense that we are talking about it where people have financial freedom they have freedom with their health i think that lead i think that in turn allows for greater equality uh, across the society rather than trying to force equality um, and impeding on other people's freedoms. So I think you can give people um, uh, freedom in the sense that we're talking about it, uh, which in turn will allow for greater equality across the society rather than trying to pull levers, force equality, um, and in turn hope for freedom. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think what I'd love to see is for that to be able to play out. You know, we're, as I said before, we're so far down this road of, I know this is is perhaps the wrong word to use and some people won't get it, but this this kind of fiat centralized uh, culture that we exist in. We're so far down that road that uh, I think it's it's scary, and that's created so many people that are frankly, um, you know, that they, they don't think about these things, or they're highly driven by impulse and emotion. You know, there's a there's large swaths that that don't care to inform themselves broadly or um, uh, or kind of on a balanced basis. They they pick their ideology, they pick their team, and that's how they interact. And on in an environment like that, it's it's definitely scary to think if everyone had you know, total freedom and control and thus, you know, the role for someone to uh, make those decisions en masse maybe seems more, uh, more appropriate or more, more agreeable at, at least. But I, I like to think that in the future, however this transition takes place, that's what we'll have. And we won't be so afraid of people making their own choices. You know, things will just, it, we'll have more faith that people will make better choices choices that are good, better for themselves and less likely to negatively impact others. Um, and the, the, the system will be more dynamic in accepting when people make bad choices and it has negative or deleterious effects on, on others. And I, you know, I know that's a big jump from where we are now, but that is definitely what I'm hopeful for for the future. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, in a parallel is exactly what we were talking about before, where you have uh, financial institutions basically saying, "Don't um, you know? You can't take responsibility for your money and trust it to us. We'll take care of it." And in turn, then people outsource that and, and never question until it's gone or something changes. And then the same thing happens with your your health. You rely on the medical establishment just to take care of you. Uh, you develop type two diabetes, and you're taking medications for the rest of your life. So if I could give people the power to take care of themselves uh, and prevent seeing from me the same thing goes with your money uh, yeah that individual sovereignty again freedom uh, 
you got to trust that people are going to make the right decisions for uh, themselves thereafter and, and and do what's best for them, which again, I think leads over into their family and their, their communities uh, and making society better as a, at large. Yeah. And, you know, another, the flip side of that, or perhaps a more, um, more succinct side is let's just assume that people are going to make bad and malicious decisions, right? Or bad and malicious decisions are going to be made. Would you rather them be made on an individual level or on a centralized level where in one case, bad or malicious decisions affect one person and their immediate environment? The other case, bad or malicious decisions affect broad swaths of humanity. And so, and I, I guess the easy corollary example here would be central banking, right? With what central banking does to money, that those bad or malicious decisions affect so billions of people, literally, if we're talking about the Federal Reserve, for example. Whereas, you know, if, if one person uh, as an individual decides to do something bad or malicious, they, they fuck up their money management or they scam people with, you know, forged notes or whatever, then it's a far more localized problem. So, you know... I, if you look at it in those terms, I'd much rather have individuals making bad and malicious decisions rather than that entity that we've conveyed so much power and influence to. So, yeah, no, for sure. I couldn't agree more. And I think you, you read books on um, complex systems. I think it was Jeffrey West's book uh, called scaling. You know, he, he gets to that very point. Like we, we trust in these centralized systems. Um, that, or just don't really have a uh, uh, parallel in, in nature, and, and in turn, uh, most likely are, are doomed to fail. Uh, you know, as they relate to the uh, institutions, the centralized institutions that that manage and govern us. Yeah, um, Mark. Um, uh, this is the last question I got for you, but I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, ask you a bit more. We touched on it briefly, but obviously. Uh, Minneapolis has been, you know, a center for a lot of the things that have kicked off in, in recent weeks. Um, you mentioned a bit kind of your, how it's changed your opinion on, on firearms and the second amendment. What, uh, what are things looking like there now? And, uh, what are you kind of looking at or tracking as a result of everything that's going on? There, the, the businesses are opening back up. They, it was, it was, Crazy, you know. We, we thought uh, with COVID things had kind of shut down, um, but they saw grocery stores open, gas stations open, and so it wasn't uh, as bad for me how it affected your your daily life. But with the riots, every everything around me, from downtown to this this uptown area, was boarded up. Gas stations, uh, grocery stores, local businesses uh, were all boarded up. Most of them were looted or, or broken. Uh, windows and um, and so that um, has slowly started to um, open back up and things are getting back to to normal I think you know I I, I think I love my city but I think there's very much a deep-seated um, neglect with regard to Issues of race, um, where Minnesota is known as Minnesota nice, but anybody tells you, anybody who moves here will tell you that that's not really true. 
a little bit more passive aggressive. And I think that that spreads into uh, xenophobia for our um, our black community members, our native community members. So I think I think we have a lot of issues that we're, we are able to easily brush aside uh, in Minnesota just because our, our state otherwise is a beautiful one to be in and we're in the Midwest and everything should be great. It's not, clearly it's not. This has been going on now for, for several, for years or decades, right, within the Minneapolis police force. And the fact that we had had a killing like this three years ago, um, and we weren't prepared for it to happen again, let alone for uh, for the riots to occur is just ridiculous. Again, another high time privilege behavior that, that they didn't have their shit together to be able to get this under control. Yeah. Um, I lied. Last question that just popped into my mind, but you know, a lot of people that I've spoken to as a result of interacting with Bitcoin, it's either slightly or grossly changed um their career ambitions and what they see themselves doing you know a track they decide to end up taking has has your experience with bitcoin um altered at all how you see your career playing out what you kind of uh, what you want to do with uh, with your career and your talents absolutely 100 percent. i don't know what that is yet um like i said at the beginning i want to be able to be more involved in the Bitcoin community. I just don't know what that's going to look like yet and, and how to uh, combine my areas of expertise with within uh, Bitcoin. But I, I have long desired to um, leave the hospital system and be able to work with individuals, uh, you know, one-on-one uh, to be their um, physician, coach, to be able to go to talk with them about diet, about lifestyle, about exercise, all those things that they're not getting from their current health system um, and really be their their partner for uh, their health uh, sovereignty to, to optimize their health capital, so to speak. So uh, if that somehow uh, gets uh, combined with uh, Bitcoin in some manner, whether it's something as simple as I accept Bitcoin or, or something greater, um, I definitely uh, want to pursue that. Awesome. Well, Mark, this has been a <clears throat> very enjoyable discussion. I appreciate you taking the time to, to share your thoughts and experiences uh, with me and everyone listening. Uh, any last words before we shut this thing down? Uh, just again, to, to you know, have people examine the parallels between uh, what they see as Bitcoin as financial self-sovereignty and then their own health and how optimizing their health can in turn uh, increase their health capital. Your health is an asset. What are you going to do to ensure that it compounds in the coming years so that you can you know, live a life with the, the greatest freedom you deserve? I love that, man. Great advice. Uh, Mark, thanks again. I'm sure we'll we'll speak uh, at length in the future sometime. But until then, uh, take care of yourself over there and uh, all the best. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. All right, brother. Bye-bye.